You are listening to A Scary State, and this week we're covering Connecticut. So, Mackenzie? Yes, Lauren? Let's get scary. Hi! Hi! (laughs) (laughs) It seems like it's been a while since we've done this, but I don't think it has. No. It always feels weird when we start again. I'm back. Can't keep me away. As much as I try. (laughs) So, I told you, but my grandma came up with a good scary movie for you to watch. Uh Uh-huh. Psycho. Uh It's not that scary nowadays. It was probably terrifying back then, Uh but a good little segue into the scary movie world. You don't look thrilled. No, I I, want to say that I'm an open-minded person that's willing to try new things, but it gives me a lot of anxiety to watch scary movies. I'm just not not a person that enjoys being scared. Oh, it's so fun. There's this one movie that's coming out that Joe wants us to watch. I've watched the preview for it like seven months ago and it still hasn't come out yet. But it's called The Black Phone or mm. The Black Telephone or something like that. Terrible. And it's about this boy who gets kidnapped and he's – this is all that is in the trailer. And he's in the basement and like this disconnected phone is ringing and telling him how to get out of this basement mm. from all the other kids who have been trapped <gasps> in the basement. Nope. I know. And nope. we were watching the preview for it last night, like the trailer, and I was like, Joe, this is giving me anxiety. Just watching this movie is scary. And then me. you want to watch it? I don't know. (laughs) So you do have a limit. Well, like, I don't know what it is about that one because I haven't found a scary movie that actually scares me in a really long time. And I don't know. That one just, like, gives me really bad anxiety. I think it's because it's a little kid and I want him to escape. Yeah. And then there are masks and masks are creepy to me. Yeah. Yeah. But. (laughs) You know, I live with anxiety every day and I don't need more. (laughs) But actually, I did read somewhere, watching a scary movie, you burn more calories than if you're watching, like, a funny movie because your heart rate is up. So, if you don't work out one day, we can watch a scary movie and it can count as a workout. You know, I would rather work out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have options and we have time. Once spooky season comes around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ooh, I have one creepy thing to tell you, too. Okay. okay. So you know how I told you, I think, okay, I don't think it's real, but it's kind of creepy to think if someone lives in my vents and whatnot. Yes. And then there's the Dover Spider-Man, who I told you about, who hot, like hid in a crawl space of someone's house and then came out and killed them. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. Well, that's a thing. So the other night, it was like 5.30 in the morning, and I woke up because it sounded like a coin had been, like, tossed off of the counter. And so I thought, like, maybe Roy was up and knocked something off of something. Yeah. So I walked downstairs, and I'm looking around at, like, we have wood in front of our front door. So I went over there, and I found a screw that was, like, this big, like, two or three inches, like, long of a screw. Could not figure out where it came from. So I told Joe about it when we woke up the next morning. Because it was creepy, it had fallen out of our vent, like, one of our vents, like, one of the screws came down, which just further solidified, what if there's a person in the vent and their movements in the vent knock the screw out? Well, then that would be pretty dumb on their part because they've just given away their position. Unless they're able to move around. Because if you see the vents in here, that's human size. Like, a human could crawl through there. Well, maybe not this crawl. One? Yeah, like army crawl. No, that's not the vent that it fell out of. It fell at the one from the front door. You wouldn't door. be able to get out. No, no, I know. Look here. <laughs> See this thingy oh, that goes over? Oh, yeah, okay. that's something you could easily, like, army crawl through. I mean, you'd have to be really tiny. You and I could crawl through there. 
It's wide enough. I don't think so. I think we could. I I think someone determined enough could. We'll have to measure the width of our shoulders <laughs> and the width of that. Yeah. Truly, unless it's a child, I really don't think a person could crawl through that. I don't know, but it just scares me each time I look at it. Well, then don't look at it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I give the most helpful advice. You really do. I don't know why you're not a therapist. <laughs> I right. talk too much. <laughs> They'd go in for an hour and you would just talk the whole time. That's why I'm doing a podcast, not therapy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me jump into Connecticut. So Connecticut, nicknamed the Nutmeg State, joined the Union on January 9th, 1788, and became the fifth state. Connecticut got its name from the Algonquian word Connecticut, which means <laughs> – stop. That's what it has. It ends in a T. Which means beside the long tidal river. This river is referring to the Connecticut River. So some weird laws. If you live in Hartford, it is illegal to cross the street while walking on your hands. I think if you can do that, uh, right? that's impressive. You should be able to. Show off your skill. Silly string is banned in Southington. As a teacher, I don't hate that. Remember when we used to attack each other with silly string when we were younger? We used to do a lot of things to each other when we, we were younger. <laughs> <laughs> we tortured each other. And look, it only made us stronger. I know. Eating in your car is illegal in Bloomfield. Mm, that's fair i think it depends because i've eaten snacks in my car but then i've seen people eating like burgers and i'm like "Mm, that's not safe it's definitely a slippery slope it is a slippery slope yeah don't walk backwards after sunset if you're in devon as that is illegal Hmm. it is also illegal to dress as a clown with the intent to scare someone or cause alarm good so this rule (laughs) as it should be but this rule was actually made following that whole creepy clown thing that happened in 2016 it should be illegal so i appreciate how they put that in this law because that do you remember that i do it was a creepy time i do connecticut is home to the first hamburger phone book oh that's cool color television polaroid camera Nuclear-powered submarine and helicopter. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Got a lot of firsts there. go, Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) The first speed limit was also set in Connecticut, with drivers not allowed to travel over 12 miles per hour. That is a terrible number. (laughs) I think so, too. Where my grandparents used to live, instead of, like, you know, the speed limit being 25 miles per hour, it was 24. They did that on purpose. Isn't that weird? it probably makes you pay attention. That's what we were thinking. I was like, why 24? But that doesn't help because cars are in increments of five. Well, you just have to go just a little below the 25. They changed it. Probably because it was just weird. (laughs) The oldest public library is located here and is called the Scoville Memorial Library. Oh, that's cool. In Connecticut, for a pickle to actually be considered a pickle, it has to bounce. Otherwise, it can't be called a pickle. Do you think that, like... (laughs) When they're making pickles, that there's someone's job to, like, throw them onto the ground to see if they <laughs> Hopefully it's a clean ground, because that could get real gross. I don't know. No, no, either. Or, like, what if you go to buy pickles, and it says pickles, and you throw it on the ground, and it doesn't bounce? Who do you complain to? I think you have a lawsuit on your hands there. I think so. It's for real. Another slippery slope we got here. <laughs> Joseph Stewart's Museum of Natural and Other Curiosities is located in Hartford and houses a two-headed calf and the horn of a unicorn. Kind of like a Ripley's. Kind of, yeah. Huh. Is that a place you'd be willing to go? A Ripley's? No, this John Stewart's Museum of Natural and Other Curiosities. Yeah, because yeah. Ripley's. I, bet I used to go to those all the time. Okay. <laughs> I, can, I can appreciate that. In Rocky Hill in 1966, dinosaur tracks were found. Ooh. And the first execution of a woman for accusation of witchcraft actually occurred in Hartford. There's a lot. Hmm. A lot in Hartford. To Alsea Young of Windsor. Oh. <laughs> 
that would make sense. Um, so where you she probably was, should look that up because now that I said that, I'm not 100% sure if I'm right. I think that sounds good. All right. So where Alzie Young of Windsor was hanged at is now the site of the old state house. Hmm. Ed and Lorraine Warren lived in Connecticut and even had their occult museum in Connecticut. Who are they? If you listen to our Rhode Island episode, I have. They I remember. Are, it's, all, <laughs> it's all 50 states. <laughs> I'll get into Ed and Lorraine Warren in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Connecticut averages one cemetery every 54 square miles. That seems like a lot. I know. It does seem like a lot. And it's Connecticut's a, a small state. state. Yeah. Gardiner Lake is located in Salem, Connecticut, and is home to a sunken house. It has been reported that after sunset, you can hear a piano playing in this underwater home. I think when I was doing my research and trying to find something, I think I saw that. Yeah, it was in a couple places. Yeah. Connecticut has five known serial killers and one unknown serial killer. Well, I'm going to talk about the one that they know. All right. Go for it. <laughs> Tell us about them. So I thought I was going to be all cool and creative. <laughs> <laughs> And I found this lady. She was a serial killer. And at the end, she gets uh, put into a place for the criminally insane, I guess. Mm -hmm. And when I first read it, I was like, oh, my God, it's haunted with her spirit. That's great. I'll do both. Because I remember you were like, I have two things I'm going to talk about. I was so excited. And I was so proud. And I did all the research on her. And I was like, great. Okay, I'm going to look up this hospital. Well, it was still... A thing, and I was like, "Well, they're not having people go through tours while it's a working hospital. Like that doesn't yeah. make any sense." Yeah, it wasn't haunted. <laughs> she just went there. <laughs> like, so she was just a notable person. So she's there. just a notable person that went there. And I mean, it might be haunted, but there was something I could find about it. There are other places, other asylums that are haunted, but I, I assume yes. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell you about her. Oh, sounds good. I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm going to be talking about Amy Dugan Archer Gillian. What a name. What a name. So uh, Amy was born on October 31st, 1868, which is fitting because October 31st. October 31st, Ooh. pretty scary lady, in <laughs> Milton, Connecticut. And Amy was one of 10 children to James Dugan and Mary Ken- uh, Kennedy. So s- small disclaimer, mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of difficult to find information on her early life, you know, prior to what she's known for. Yeah. Uh, some sources said said that she was born in 1873. Um, so it, all the variations of it were like a year or two off. So, you know, um, research that I found from Radford University, shout out to my alma mater, oh. uh, said she only had four siblings. You've gotten a lot of stuff from Radford University. I know. Because you cited them in the last episode too, didn't you? I thought that was you. One of us did. <laughs> <laughs> um so most of the information I'm going to cover about her is during her time for committing the crimes that she is known for and okay. less so about her personal life. Uh, so from what was documented, it seemed that Amy had a normal childhood. She did fine in school, and she did not necessarily exhibit any attributes one might associate with a serial killer. Uh, I found one source that said that there were reports of mental illness in her family. One of her brothers was committed to a mental institution. <laughs> one of her brothers was committed to a mental institution as unclear as to why yeah and one of her sisters was paralyzed after jumping off the roof of their home oh yeah so amy claimed 
that she attended a private school in New Milton and trained as a nurse at Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan, but there is no record of either of these accounts. Okay. And what was the year of all this, you said? Like, when was she born? The late 1800s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So, either there's no record because it's late 1800s mm-hmm. or there's no records because she lied. Yeah, one of, one of the two. Honestly, with the kind of person she was, both are plausible. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, she married her first husband, James Archer, in 1896 or 97. Had They had one daughter together. <laughs> they had one daughter together, Mary J. Archer. And then there's no mention of this daughter again. Not a clue as to what happened to her, whether she was living in this home that all this stuff occurred in. I have no idea. Huh. She is never mentioned again other than that she's a person. <laughs> Interesting. So there you go. Uh, There's little information on how she and her husband, or Amy and her husband, got into the caretaking business, but their first patient was John Seymour in 1901. They were hired to care for Mr. Seymour in the last years of his life. When Mr. Seymour died in 1904, his relatives allowed the archers to continue living in the home and converted to a home for the elderly. They called it Sister Amy's Home for the Elderly. I don't know why she was called Sister, because she wasn't a nun. Huh. So. Maybe to make people think she was nice and... Possibly. Godly. Um, When I was on Radford's site that had a lot of information, sister was like in quotes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because she wasn't a nun. So they knew. So they knew. They were there until 1907 when Mr. Seymour's family decided to sell the home. The archers moved to Winston, Connecticut, where they opened the archer home for the elderly. Residents could pay a weekly fee or a $1,000 flat fee to be taken care of for the rest of their life. Okay. $1,000 in 1907. Probably a good amount of money. Probably a good amount of money. Okay, so from the time that the Archers opened the home until Archer's death, Mr. Archer's death in 1910, 12 patients died while in their care. Mm. Mr. Archer died of kidney disease a few weeks after Mrs. Archer had taken out a life insurance policy on her husband. Hmm. Suspicious. Hmm. Suspicious. The insurance policy allowed Mrs. Archer to continue running the home after Mr. Archer's death. Mrs. Archer continued to run the home alone for three years until 1913 when Michael Gilligan entered the picture. Mr. Gilligan was interested in investing in the Archer home and would eventually fall for Mrs. Archer. The two married in November of 1913. Mr. Gilligan was reported to have been in good health. However, <laughs> Mr. Gilligan died in February February of 1914. Oh, man. So they were married for like three months. Yep. Yeah. She <laughs> took a life insurance policy out for him too, didn't she? From severe indigestion, Mr. Gilligan's will stated that everything should be left to his wife, Amy Archer Gilligan. Of course, the wife of three months. Uh Uh-huh. And nothing to his four adult sons from his previous marriage. Oh. Yeah. So. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. So, like I said, in the first few years that the home was open, 12 patients died, which didn't seem... I guess it's not too suspicious when you think about the fact that it's supposed to be elderly people there. Well, because listen to this. Okay. So those 12 patients died in probably like a span of like three-ish years, give or take. Okay. But between 1911 and 1916, so five years, Mm -hmm. there was close to 50 patients (gasps) under the care of Mrs. Archer Gilligan that died. Wow. Yeah. You would – well, I was going to say, they don't really have Yelp back then. But (laughs) – Yeah, I don't think there's anywhere for anyone to leave a review. But like – because, you know, after a while, if you're like, oh my gosh, this place had like – 57 people die or 50, 60, whatever. Yeah. I don't want to bring my family here. So here's the kicker. 
she is well known in the community, but mm-hmm. she's like a pillar of the community. Like she's uh, looked at as this great uh-huh. saintly woman. As they always are. Right. And the uh, coroner, whatever, mm-hmm. good friend. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So it was easy for her to get away with a lot oh, of what she did for a while. Definitely. Um, so I'm going to go through a little timeline of how these events events unfolded. Radford Ooh. University Psychology Department was able to shed some light on the events that would eventually lead to Mrs. Archer Gilligan being convicted. Okay. Okay. 1912, Franklin Andrews and Sir... And I can't say it. You got this. I believe in you. <sighs> 1912, Franklin Andrews entered the Archer home. He's going to be important part of the story later on. Okay. At the time, Amy had 10 residents and 15 deaths occurred in that same year. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 1913, Michael Gilligan moved into the Archer home and he would eventually marry to Miss, he'd be married to Miss. It's a day. It is a day. Sometimes sometimes you have those days. It's probably because karma, how much I made fun of you the last time. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, feel the shame. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even hard. I've said his name before. You have. Like, it's not even a hard name. No, it's not. <laughs> Nineteen thirteen, Michael Gilligan moved into the Archer home. He would eventually be married to Mrs. Archer. Early the following year, it was uh, noted that Mr. Gilligan came to the Archer home when he was fifty-seven. Oh, and in perfect health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when he died early the next year. Oh, yeah, young. Severe indigestion. Something ain't right. Uh, 1914, in January, Amy wrote a letter to Franklin Andrews. Uh, In February of that same year, W.H. Mason's, which I think was the local drugstore, Mm -hmm. made note of Mrs. Archer's purchase of 10 ounces of arsenic. Oh. Which she claimed was for rats. Uh Uh-huh. By the end of February, Mr. Gilligan dies, and in late May, Franklin Andrew died at the Archer home. In June, Alice and Lorene Gowdy signed a life contract with Amy Archer for $1,000. By December of that same year, Alice Gowdy died at the Archer home. All of this is very sus. Very suspicious. So, back to Mr. Andrews. When Mr. Andrews died, he was doing some gardening in the Archer house, and he was reported to have been in great physical health. Mm -hmm. And it had deteriorated in a single day, and he was dead by the evening. Hmm. Supposedly by a gastric ulcer. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mr. Andrew's siblings came into possession of some of his letters, and his sister, Nellie Pierce, noticed that Mrs. Archer Gilligan had pressed her brother for the money. So that letter that she had wrote to him was about getting money from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Pierce had also discovered that many other residents had died after donating a large sum of money to Mrs. Archer Gilligan. When Miss Pierce shared her suspicions with the district attorney, she was ignored. She decided to take her story to the local paper. They ran the story, and the headline said, Murder Factory. Mm -hmm. After several months and multiple articles published about the murder factory, the police finally began to investigate. Police exhumed the bodies of Mr. Gilligan and Mr. Andrews, along with several other bodies, and it was soon discovered that all of them had high levels of arsenic or strychnine. Upon further investigation, it was found that Amy had purchased large quantities of the poison to supposedly kill the rats. The police found that Amy was on occasion sending her patients to purchase the arsenic on her behalf. Mm. So these people literally bought the thing that would kill them. Isn't that dark? Horrific. Yeah. (laughs) Like, a little sadistic. Yeah. It was also discovered that Mr. Gilligan's will had been a forgery. Shocking, I know. Yeah, wow. Written by 
Guess who? I don't know. Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Police arrested Mrs. Archer Gilligan in 1916, and she was charged with murder in the first degree. It's important to note that these deaths were not deemed suspicious prior to Mr. Andrews because, like I said, the local coroner was a good friend. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they were old. They were old. Right. So So it wasn't, you know, suspicious and no one felt the need to further investigate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not even sure if autopsies had been performed. I don't know. That's a good question. Like, I I don't think it was looked into until they exhumed the bodies. Yeah. And, again, if your friend is the coroner, you know. Yeah. Mrs. Archer Gilligan was tried and convicted of the murders. She was supposed to be sentenced to death. However, she appealed her case, and because of a technicality, four of the murder convictions were dropped. Oh. I was not able to find what this technicality was. Mm -hmm. I looked on multiple sites. Just an old-timey technicality. Just an old-timey technicality. (laughs) Um, But she was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison in 1919. And I believe that was for... um, Mr. Andrews. Okay. And Mr. Gilligan, I think. Mrs. Archer Gilligan had pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Oh. And in 1924, she was actually declared insane. (laughs) She was not until then. Okay. Didn't say why all of a sudden they found that she... Yeah. You know, she was already in jail at this point. Maybe she has some friends. Some friends on the inside. Honestly, it might be possible. And then she was transferred to the Connecticut Hospital for the Insane in Middletown, and that's where she remained until her death in 1962. Dang. Mm-hmm. And I thought that place was haunted, but I am wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is still being used today. <laughs> that's kind so. of wild, though, that it's still being used today from all the way back then. Well, so when I was looking into it, it's not as big as it used to be. Yeah. Like, uh, they had a bunch more buildings uh when they first opened up, Mm -hmm. but they've closed down a lot of them and kind of consolidated. And a lot of the buildings that they don't use anymore have been demolished. Oh, okay. So there was no way for anyone to get in anywhere. Yeah. Because it's a functioning hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So there's probably not ghost hunting tours at night. Right. The only thing that I found that might be haunted is I think there's a cemetery on the property. Oh, okay. So I I saw a couple of things about that being kind of spooky. Um, but I wanted to go through her victims. Okay. So 1910 was James Archer, her first husband. 1911, Hilton Griffith, 81. 1912, 15 unnamed people. Oh, my gosh. 1913, 13 unnamed people. 1914, Michael Gilligan, 58. Charles Smith, 87. Franklin Andrews, 61. And Alice Gowdy, 69. And also five unnamed people. In 1915, seven unnamed people. And then this one was interesting, which I wish there was more information on her because it's highly suspicious. Mm-hmm. 1916, Maud Lynch, 33. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, why would she be there? I don't know. I couldn't find anything. There was one website I looked at that said, like, police had sent someone in undercover, but that wasn't oh. her name. Oh. So. Interesting. I have no idea who Maud Lynch is. Yeah. And why she was there. Yeah. At 33. Huh. I don't know. And then five other unnamed people. And they think that there might have been a lot more, but they just don't know for sure. Yeah. So that is Miss Amy Dugan Archer Gilligan. Wow. Yeah. She sounds like one of those, like, Black Widow people. Except she wasn't killing all of her husbands, but, you know. An angel of death. Yes. So (laughs) it's actually interesting you say that because one of the websites I used was, like, it's kind of like a Criminal Minds fandom type thing. Oh, cool. And I actually had a lot of good information and, you know, listed sources, so I knew it was credible. Yeah. (laughs) But then at the bottom, what it does is it 
tells you the episode that this person oh they mentioned them how in. cool yeah. so what episode was she mentioned in uh, hold on let me look that's really cool right? isn't that cool so i'm gonna use this site again yeah definitely <laughs> um let's see so on criminal mind she's mentioned she is mentioned on season five the uncanny valley episode and she's mentioned uh she's referred to as amy archer as an example of a female angel of death uh, type killers who don't have a preference for victims or specific gender or certain physical characteristics. Wow. Yep. Well, so, that was a very interesting one. Very yeah. suspicious. Very suspicious. And, you know, for the time, I felt like, especially given, obviously, the early part of her life, there wasn't a lot of information. But yeah. I was able to find a lot for, like, the trial and, like, how that came to Yeah, be. which is kind of surprising because, yeah, given the time, right. you don't think. Well, I think it's because of how well-known she is. Okay. Like, apparently, um, in one of the places I was looking, someone made a uh, – um, not a poem. I don't know where I got poem from. A play. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but they changed her into two people. Oh. And so I think that's why there was a lot of information on the crime part of it mm-hmm. because it had been turned into something, you know, like a – yeah. Play and stuff. So, yeah. Interesting. There you go. All right. So, Mackenzie, I want to start off by saying sorry for what I'm about to cover. I know. You told me it was um, scary. It's very creepy. Okay. And something that I actually, while I was researching, I had to take a couple breaks. Oh, my God. Just because it was very creepy. Um, oh, and at least it's daytime. So, I want to say sorry, and I also want to say you're welcome. You want to watch a scary movie with me? Oh, we could. I added a little smiley face in my notes, too, to show you that I mean that I am sorry <laughs> and that this is exciting. <laughs> All right. Wait, hold on. I got a question. When you were a kid, did you ever, like, read those, like, creepy stories? Like Goosebumps? No, like uh, – Oh, the scary storybooks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We would read those all the time, like, about – like, there was one that I remember that people talked about where – um this lady was in her bed and she felt licking on her hand, but when she looked, her dog was across oh, the room. Yeah, yeah. We would read those all Killers the time. Killers lick too, or something yeah. like that. Humans lick too. And I would get we is daytime. Yeah, we were doing it like at summer camp, and I get so creeped out. Um, there is a scary movie, like a scary stories movie. So it's all of those stories mm-hmm. put into mm-hmm. a movie. You said we could start with the scary movie movies. Okay. Yes. We'll start with those. Okay. We'll do that. But those aren't that scary. Baby steps. Okay. Baby steps. <laughs> and then Psycho. And then that. Okay. It's good. It's okay. good. Okay. At summer camp, I used to read the kids' scary stories. And I told them, I was like, if any of you tell your parents that I'm reading <laughs> these to you and I get in trouble, we're done. <laughs> so I had a little oh, group of, like, these little kids who wanted to hear all these scary stories. And I was like, yes, my little crew. So I would, like, <laughs> and then they ended up taking those scary story books away. And so I would find scary stories online and I would screenshot them and bring them into work and read them to the kids. Yeah, I told him, I was like, if I get in trouble for this, I will not be happy. I think my kids would be shocked if I was reading them something scary. Oh, yeah, your kids absolutely. they know I hate scary things. Yeah. And they're telling me, oh, yeah, I watched this, like, over Halloween. I watched this scary movie and that scary movie. They're 10. And I'm like, (laughs) good for you. I watched, you know. uh, Hocus Pocus. And Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Remember when we did Beetlejuice in school? Uh, Yeah, I got injured. How'd you get injured? Because I was helping transport a desk. Yeah. And someone, it's pitch black. Yeah. So you can't see anything. And it got dropped and I banged the bottom of my chin. I vaguely remember this. I was in a lot of pain and your mom wanted to take pictures and it hurt to smile. (laughs) (laughs) I was a lady of the night. 
I was, uh, I think I was the secretary. I don't know. I had a I lot of gray makeup on. I was dead. Yeah. 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 I was a lady of the night with fake blood. So, you know, red high heels is great. All right. So I'm sure everyone who's <clears throat> listening is either very or at least fairly familiar with Ed and Lorraine Warren. I talked about them a little bit in our Rhode Island episode when I covered The Conjuring House. So from that story and and just an overview, yes, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, were paranormal investigators who would pretty much be called to a house that was being terrorized by a spirit or entity. Ed was a religious demonologist, and he was actually acknowledged by the Vatican. And Lorraine was a medium and clairvoyant. So it is believed that the Warrens would come in and help the family in getting rid of whatever was causing the hauntings. That's nice of them. So some, yeah. So some <laughs> notable horror movies and hauntings that were inspired by the Warrens' work were The Conjuring, obviously with the Perrin family, which I talked about in Rhode Island, Annabelle and all the movies in the Conjuring universe, the Amityville Horror, A Haunting in Connecticut, The Smurl Family Haunting, The Enfield Poltergeist, and The Demonic Werewolf of London, among many others. So... What do you think happened to all of these things and items that the Warrens removed from these homes? Well, they were brought to their occult museum. Oh, my God. So the museum is um, originally located at the Warrens' former home, like, in their house in Monroe, Connecticut. The museum opened in 1952. It was the oldest museum of this kind in existence. Hundreds of thousands of visitors would come to see what different things and cursed or haunted items this museum holds. That's got to be some super bad juju. Oh, absolutely. To have all those things in one place. Like, in your basement. Yeah. Yeah. For over 50 years, the Warrens built up their haunted collection. All of the items that reside in this museum are said to have been, quote, touched by evil, and visitors are warned not to touch anything. Why did they hold on to it? Because it's probably the safest place for it to be. Why didn't they just destroy it? Because probably there are some things you can't destroy. Huh. Mm -hmm. And at least if it's here, they know where it is. True. You know? Yeah. And so this no touching is a strictly enforced rule that must be followed. Many of the items are so dangerous that just by touching them, something can latch on to the unfortunate person who touched it. <laughs> right? Why so, would you even want to, like, See, this is a place it. I don't want to go. No, but in, in, even if you did go, like, this is not a theory I want to test. Right, Like, no. I'm good with just believing you that something bad's going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So I wanted to take a little look into some of the mentionable items that were stored here no, before no, it closed no. in 2019. I'm already getting goosebumps and you haven't even started <laughs> sharing the story <laughs> so good. So apparently it closed down, claimed, because it was due to zoning violations. Yeah. So the museum was like legit in the Warren's house, which was a residential area. Mm. So the fact that they had a museum that was visited by thousands was not appreciated by the neighborhood. Fair. And the house just wasn't zoned for that. Yeah. So the town's chief police, John Salvatore, said, quote, It is not a museum. It is a residential house. The street is a very narrow public roadway and adequate for parking for any commercial enterprise. And the traffic generated by the home inconveniences neighbors. I mean, so they didn't like it in the neighborhood. I wouldn't either because I wouldn't <laughs> want to be that close to haunted things. Connecticut is close enough. <laughs> but first, how I feel about all of these items that what I want to discuss. What is Connecticut close to? I don't know. <laughs> but I don't want I don't want to be any closer to the haunted things. Connecticut is, you know, close enough to me. I don't need to be closer to it. Oh. <laughs> what were you thinking I was saying? <laughs> I thought you meant just like living in Connecticut. Just mm. in general. And that's why I was like, but I, it's not all scary. But you mean living here, Connecticut itself is close. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got it. Like, now. I don't want to be any closer uh-huh. to these haunted yep. items. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. It's all. What you said makes a lot more sense than what I thought. So. <laughs> Glad we could clarify yes. that for anyone who might be confused as well. 
I do for the people. <laughs> so all of these items I do for the people. <laughs> that just registers like white. <laughs> okay, so these items, they are sure scary, but they also need to be respected. Uh-huh. So there is no way to know how powerful these items are and how far their effects can extend. So the best rule of practice, in my opinion, is to be respectful. So keep that in mind as I go through these artifacts and items at the museum. It's best to just not go. Yes. And oh, like, you mean like we're reach. not going to make fun of them. Because they could reach us here. Yes. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. So at the time of my research, I looked at the Atlas Obscura article about this museum. A little poll at the top was going on. Mm-hmm. So 140 people had reported they had been there. Guess how many people voted that they wanted to visit? Oh, uh, it's going to be a lot. 2,666. Six, six, six. <gasps> yeah. So the whole room is adorned with different creepy, scary, and collectible items, like candles, skulls, voodoo dolls, shrunken heads, skeletons, Ouija boards, creepy paintings drawn by Ed himself that show things such as demonic possession, remains of Ghost Flight 401, which was a plane that crashed in the Florida Everglades in 1972 where everyone on board, the over 100 passengers, all died. Isn't that what loss is based off of? Kind of, yeah. They're, like a plane crashes. And, like people disappear. They all, like, those on the island. Yeah, and then yeah. the numbers that relate to that plane are always cursed. Right. Yeah. Uh, a haunted white wedding dress, African fertility dolls, satanic books, and much more. Mm. So on to the items. Mm. The first is a haunted piano. Ed said that he would often hear the piano playing in the empty room, but the moment he went into the room to investigate, the playing would stop. The playing would usually... Shy. Shy <laughs> the playing would usually start around 9 p.m., which was the museum's witching hour. So the typical witching hour is 3 a.m. But here it's 9 p.m. This piano just really likes to play itself. The Warren stated that this piano had originally belonged to a priest, and after his death, they got it. It is said to have a spiritual or metaphysical purpose rather than just being haunted, but I don't know what that purpose was. Hmm. It was never mentioned anywhere. Apparently, things happen to people who play this piano. One person saw a man sitting yeah, on it. Yeah, it wants to do it itself. Leave it alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> so one person saw a man sitting on a stool near near where he was playing, a man who obviously wasn't real. Mm-hmm. Others have reported having horrible and scary dreams involving music after playing. Oh, my God. I'm never going to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> oh, just wait. Oh the God. piano... Oh, God. Oh, I'm so sorry. Just wait. Just go. <laughs> the ready. piano can be seen in the Conjuring universe, specifically in Annabelle Comes Home. The babysitter in the movie makes her way into the room with all of the items in the movie and ends up playing a couple keys, though she had been warned to not touch anything in person. Oh, that's her own stupidity. And to, like, not touch anything in the room, and then she goes and plays the freaking piano. So then we have a samurai suit. It is a cursed suit, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was also seen in Annabelle Comes Home when the teens are looking at the room with all of the haunted artifacts. So in the movie, the same babysitter who played the thing opens Annabelle's box. She's I will get to Annabelle. Lady. This allows the spirits to escape, and it pretty much brings all of the other demons in the room to life. So that is how the suit gets brought to life in the movie. In the movie, the two girls see the suit and seem to be mesmerized by it. They continue staring at it until they begin to hear distant screams, believed to be those of the victims who lost their lives to the samurai who wore the armor. But they also begin to hear the battle cries of that samurai. One video I watched on YouTube said that this actual suit doesn't exist and only appeared in the movies, but almost every other article I read talked about it yeah. and, like, that it was real, so I'm not really sure, and since I've never been to the museum and never... Does, does the museum have, go, like, a site that lists everything? Not really, because it closed down. Oh, fair. But, yeah, so I can't say for sure if it's there or not. Then we have vampire coffins. There isn't really any background that I could find about what these are, and they haven't appeared in any of the films, but the Warrens say that this object was used by a modern-day vampire. No elaboration, that's all we get. The front of the coffin has some Victorian art on it, as well as a picture of Ed on the day that they acquired the coffin. Hmm. Then we have cursed photographs. 
So there are some photos around the museum that are said to be cursed. There are even just entire walls covered with different cursed photographs. Again, there's no specific stories or background about, like, the photos. It is unknown, though, (laughs) if the photos are only cursed if you see them in person or if that curse can go through the computer for those viewing from your computer. So the fun thing is I'm scrolling through these articles and it goes cursed photos. I'm like, oh, let me read about that. And it has a picture of the damn photo. And it's like, oh, you could be cursed by looking at this. Thank you for the disclaimer. And then I was also watching a few YouTube videos about like all the haunted things. And so when they got to the cursed photos, I would minimize the screen and just listen to it. And then when they were done, I would watch the video again because I didn't want to look at it. Am I going to get cursed by association? No, just don't look at the photos. So you're cursed. Well, we don't know if it extends that far yet. So I'm just going to go based off of the ones that does say it, you have to see it, it in say, person. like, if you don't experience anything in the next few hours? <laughs> <laughs> well, I looked at the photo about a week ago, so we're good. Not I don't know how long curses take to activate. But also, <laughs> the picture I did see, it had a little white circle on the, fo- like on the face of the photo. So maybe that's like blocking the curse because I didn't see the actual full photo. Fair. So Fair. Um, that's what, I'm, that's that's what we're going to go with. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then we have demon masks. These masks don't seem to be related to a specific lore, just general demon masks in general. Mm-hmm. I also read that they were used as a tulpa for diabolical projection. So what is a tulpa, you may ask? I was about to ask. <laughs> Tulpa.info. That's their website, with the tagline, for science, describes one as, quote, a tulpa is an entity created in the mind, acting independently of and parallel to your own consciousness. They are able to think and have their own free will, emotions, and memories. In short, a tulpa is like a sentient person living in your head separate from you. It's currently unproven whether or not tulpas are truly sentient, but in this community, we treat them as such. It takes time for a tulpa to develop a convincing and complex personality. As they grow older, your attention and their life experience will shape them into a person with their own hopes, dreams, and beliefs. So multiple personality disorder. But it's like projected out of you as a person. Oh, it's not you. Mm-mm. Yeah. So there's a supernatural episode about tulpas, and it's like this creature, and it goes out and like kills things. Because it's the reflection of someone else. Uh-huh. So it's like its own being. Yeah. So this website uh, tells that you can visit, helps you create one. It lets you go down the journey of creating your own topo. How kind. So don't do that. Uh, no. No one knows what may be dwelling in these masks either. It is said that if one puts on the mask, that person risks being possessed. I mean. Makes sense. Makes sense. There is also a Sri Lankan mask that is comprised of evil spirits. It is used in ceremonies to evoke those spirits and demonic entities. In addition, there is a mask that is in the likeness of Hannah Crana. So long ago, she was a woman who would demand things of her neighbors without offering anything in return. Oftentimes, her neighbors would say no, and Hannah didn't like that. Those who refused, though, would often have something bad befall them. Eventually, she was accused of being a witch, and Hannah took hold of this identity and really leaned to it, letting others believe that she was, in fact, a witch. One good story about her. When she died, she said that she wanted to be buried at a certain time of day and at a certain place and, like, you know, wanted Mm -hmm. everything specific. Well, when she did pass away, the villagers didn't listen to her and tried to bury her immediately. As they were bringing the coffin to its resting spot, it continued to get away from the people and kept sliding down a hill, resulting in the villagers having to climb back down this big hill, pick up the thing, lug it all the way back up to the top, and try to bury it again. Why do I feel like I've heard this? It's, yeah, because when I heard the name, I was like, I know this one. And then I heard the story, I was like, I've heard this before. I've definitely heard this story before. Yeah. So there's a mask that looks just like her there. Oh, good. There's also a brick from the Borley Rectory. This rectory is said to be one of the most haunted buildings in the entire UK. 
It was built in 1862, but was damaged in a fire in 1939, then in 1944 it was demolished. Harry Price, a prominent paranormal researcher, wrote a report of the rectory in 1944, which was printed in the Daily Mirror. He wrote about his experience while he was there. Some sightings that have been reported here in hauntings are that people hear the sound of footsteps, see a ghostly nun, ghost lights, thumps on one's car, and a phantom coach that drives by. But the building's not there. No longer, but they have a brick from the building. Oh, a brick. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. They also have children's tombstones. So the tombstones located in the museum are said to have been involved in satanic rituals. I can't remember the name of what it's called, but people would literally do rituals on these specific tombstones. And these ones are said to have been of children that were allegedly used in dark occult rituals. So most likely the Warrens took these tombstones so that they could no longer be used in rituals. Yeah. Which is a nice reason to take them. Yeah. That's kind of rude. Yeah. Then we have actual human skulls. Okay. So the, Warren, <laughs> the Warrens do have a number of random human skulls at their museum, but they also have some that were used in occult and satanic rituals as well as witchcraft, usually to communicate with demons and open up gateways that connect hell and earth. It is said that these skulls may hold some dark energy within them still. There's is one, this house still there? I'll get to it. Okay. One of the skulls, though, I saw it. It was, like, painted. The eyes were painted, like, bright pink. And the teeth are like this bright, like neon yellow. And I was like, that's kind of creepy. When I was in, uh, I think, fifth grade, we went to this like taxidermy museum. No idea why. Yeah. Could not tell you. <laughs> Did not enjoy myself. I didn't think you would. Um, I mean, you remember the deer heads. Yes. Like, my dad had deer heads in the basement. And I made her move them yes. every time I slept over. Uh-huh. Um, we would decorate them for Halloween and Christmas and stuff. I always felt like they were watching me. I know. That's I know. creepy. Well, so now imagine a whole <laughs> building of yeah. these things. And I remember we like had to take out bones or animal bones. And I forget what the purpose was. I, I feel was, like that could be traumatizing for a fifth grader. I was so skeeved out. And I remember there was a giant polar bear. <laughs> and I was staring at it. And you know me. I don't pay attention when I'm engrossed in something. And someone tapped me on the shoulder and I screamed. <laughs> so that skull is what made me think of that. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember why we went there. Yeah. That's an odd place for a field trip. I mean, nowadays, I would think that would be really cool. But I don't think a fifth grader would enjoy that. And I, as a fifth grade teacher, I can't even think of the curriculum that would go with it. Yeah. Like, we, we talk about classifying animals, but vertebrates and invertebrates, not... I don't know. I bet the teachers were like, we want to go here. Let's find a way to incorporate it into the (laughs) curriculum. (laughs) Then we have the parent family music box. So they're the Conjuring people? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. The family from the Conjuring who lived in Rhode Island. So brief recap of their story. They were being terrorized by the spirit of a believed Satanist and witch named Bathsheba Sherman, who had been the previous owner of the house in the 19th century. If you want to hear more about that story, listen to our Rhode Island episode, Wink, Wink, Nudge, Nudge. (laughs) So the music box was a big part of the hauntings that the parents faced and also appeared in The Conjuring right around when something scary was about to happen. Apparently, music boxes are classic vessels for curses. So in the film, April, the youngest daughter of the family, finds this old, beautiful music box in the new house they had just moved into. She would use it to communicate with a little boy spirit in the house named Rory. Apparently, Rory had been killed by his mother, Bathsheba, back in the house in the 1800s. In the film, Lorraine Warren examines the box and actually catches a glimpse of Rory in the box. Hmm. Towards the end of the film, Ed places this haunted box in his museum, where by itself it opens and begins to play music. Hmm. This was a really popular box that was talked about at 
every single like thing I read about, but that was the only information it gave about it. Hmm. Yeah. Then we have the Pearls of Death. It is believed to be one of the most dangerous items in the museum. The Pearls of Death are a necklace, but a cursed one. It is said that this necklace will strangle whoever tries to wear it. <laughs> yeah. The previous owner of the necklace even said that it tried to choke her. She said she was wearing it, and it continued to tighten around her neck. She was unable to get it off and eventually found four other people who had to pull it to finally get the necklace off. It is now stored in a jewelry box. No one wants to test if it is still cursed or not, though. <laughs> then we have the conjuring mirror. So unlike its name... I don't fuck with mirrors. No. <laughs> no, when you kept saying you want to get this huge <clears throat> antique mirror in your house, I'm like, girl. Well, but I don't do creepy things. An antique mirror... Well, could be so creepy. I got Albert. You do have Albert. He'll protect you. I got Albert. In his vest. My naked ghost. Just picture one day you're looking in the mirror and you just see a vest Stop. go across. Why <laughs> are you like, I thought this was going to be such a cute idea and now you're making me second No, it is going to be. It's going to be so cute. It's going to be so cute. So unlike it's name. <laughs> <laughs> this mirror never actually appeared in the franchise. It instead got its name because it is used to communicate or conjure spirits. So the Warrens acquired the mirror. Oh, is that why it's called the Conjuring? Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> it could be. That's why this is called the Conjuring Mirror. But look at you, McKenzie. Look at me. So the Warrens acquired the mirror after the previous owner, apparently, stared into the mirror for weeks and weeks on end. Soon enough, the mirror started to conjure up horrifying images that eventually drove the man mad. He was sent to a men mental institution, and the mirror was sent to the Warrens. The son-in-law of the Warrens, Tony Spera, says that this form of magic, using a mirror to summon spirits, is known as crystalmancy or crystal gazing. There is said to be a long history of people using mirrors for this, and mirrors being a gateway for the dead to enter the world of the living. In the paranormal world, mirrors are known to be por portals, and I can see why. You've been in my room. Yes, I have. Yeah. They also say that, I'm just not going to tell you, I'll tell you, that you should never have a mirror facing your bed. That's bullshit because I've had a mirror facing my bed for as long as I can remember. So I just have a whole wall of a mirror. Yeah, you really do. You have a lot of mirrors in there. And I think it's great for taking pics, but so now I'm concerned. Once Jared and his friend were upstairs, I was with like maybe you and Jesse or something. And he was downstairs with his friend Camden watching Oculus, that movie about a haunted mirror. And my dad downstairs in the basement, he has a whole wall of mirrors in his workout room. So Jared oh, came yeah. up that night and he's like, can we sleep up here? And I said, <laughs> why? And he goes, um, we're scared of the mirrors downstairs. I don't remember this. Occurrence. Oh, yeah. Maybe you weren't there. Maybe it was just me and Jesse or Might something. But they ended up sleeping on the floor and we slept on the couches because they were too scared. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so it is hard and almost impossible to actually control if the spirits that are being summoned are good and evil. So using this form of communication is not recommended. But wasn't going to try. Right, I wasn't going to either. <laughs> but some people who have visited the museum say that they did see spirits while gazing into the mirror. Then we have a toy monkey. This is one of those creepy, scary monkeys that usually holds an instrument, like symbols between their hands, and like they smash them together. You know what I'm talking uh -huh. about? Yeah, so this monkey has been part of the Conjuring universe and was seen a lot in Annabelle Comes Home. So this monkey, in general, as a toy, is already pretty unsettling, but it apparently has a power, and it's said to be cursed. So it is said that this particular monkey is possessed by a demon, and this demon enjoys stalking its victims before it murders them. So just picture this scary monkey following you around. <gasps> Sometimes you hear little feet shuffling oh, around no. at night. Then it starts showing up where it's not supposed to be and where you didn't leave it. 
At some point, Ed had given a tour of his museum to a reporter and told that reporter, quote, everything you see in here is either haunted, cursed, or been used in some kind of ritualistic practice. Nothing is a toy, not even the monkey toy. Don't touch it. <laughs> it's so creepy. Okay, then we have a satanic idol. This particular idol that is held in the Warrens Museum was found in the woods of Sandy Hook, a small town in Connecticut. It was... Where's, what's an idol? Like a little, like a symbol kind of thing, like... Like, sink a stuffed animal. Oh. You know, it's like kind of a little idol, you know? So it was first found by a young hunter in the woods. He picked it up and decided to keep it at the time. After he found the idol, he encountered an old man wearing black robes who was talking and telling tales of horror and doom. The hunter told his friends what he had found and the strange man he had encountered in the woods, and soon enough, he was put in touch with the Warrens, who came out to the hunter to inspect the idol he had found. The Warrens believed this particular idol had been used in satanic rituals and that it was, indeed, haunted. People who have visited the museum have reported feeling chills while looking at the idol. So I kept hearing about this, and I saw it, but I guess I never put two and two together because the idol seems to be really big. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't seem small like something you would just pick up in the woods. It yeah. feels like something you'd have to lug out of the woods. Yeah. So I don't know how the hunter just casually grabbed it and carried it, but maybe I just didn't see a good picture of this thing. If it was and zoomed in, it might not have been accurate size. Yeah, but I, like, looked at it up next to, like... The pictures I would see, it showed this thing, the thing I'm going to talk about next, which is super creepy, and then another thing, and they all look to be pretty big, but maybe it's just, like, how they're, like, laid out. Mm -hmm. They just were, I don't know. It could be small. There's no way to know. Okay, this is the super creepy one. I'm so sorry. So it's called the Shadow Doll. Mm. This doll is said to have the power of entering someone's dreams and killing them while they sleep, stopping their hearts. So it sort of sounds like Freddy. So the doll is a few feet tall. Who's Freddy? Freddy Krueger, he kills you in your dreams, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, that's what that's about? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know them, but I don't know what movie they're associated yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, he's the one who, like, kills you in your sleep. Oh, that Rick and Morty episode makes so much more sense now. <laughs> I'm glad I can help you. Thank you. Um, so, the doll is a few feet tall, wears a black cloak, and has a head of hair that appears to be made out of feathers. Ugh. Its mouth is open in what appears to be a perpetual, never-ending scream. Oh my god, I'm going to have so many nightmares. I started to think about this before I fell asleep last night, and I was like, stop. So it is said to have been made through black magic rituals bred for evil purposes. It is also said to be made of human bones and animal parts, including crow feathers. Did I tell you I really want to befriend crows? That's my mission in life. I want to give them like little pieces of food, and then they can bring me shiny things. I really want to befriend crows. They remember you. So, like, if you're mean to a crow, they will forever hate you. And if you're nice to them, they'll forever remember you and bring you things. Don't look at me like that. Anywho. So how this doll works. You take a photo of the doll and write a specific curse on the back of that photo. You then send that photo to whoever you want to curse. Wow. Yeah. Once the person looks at the photo, the image of the shadow doll can be telepathically projected to them in a dream state, which is how the doll visits the person or its victim. But another source said that just viewing the doll can be harmful and can lead to hauntings, but only one source said that, so I'm not going to trust that source. I'm going to go with the only one other source that told me about the right amount of pictures. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, I like that idea much better, so we're going to go with that one. Exactly. <laughs> because I was thinking about it last night. I was like, damn, this thing's going to visit me. And I said, nope, I didn't see a picture. There was no curse on the picture. We're good. So how the Warrens ended up with this thing. A couple apparently purchased it from an antique dealer. Soon, though, the couple began experiencing horrible dreams, or I guess nightmares, all featuring the doll. They would also wake up with scratch marks all over their bodies, which then soon turned into claw marks. Mm. That's when they contacted the Warrens. 
Then, of course, we have probably the most famous item in the entire museum, the real-life Annabelle doll. So looking nothing like the doll from the movie, who actually looks terrifying, the real Annabelle doll is a typical Raggedy Ann doll. A brief story of Annabelle. In 1968, a nursing student named Louise, or Donna, depending on the source you read, got a Raggedy Ann doll from her mother as a gift. But soon, the doll started demonstrating some unsettling behavior. It would move around the apartment and would leave messages for the nurse and her roommate. The handwriting on these messages would look like it came from a child. So in 1970, the two girls took the doll to a medium who informed them that the doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. At some point, the doll or spirit asked the girls if she could stay with them. And I think being caring, like one was a nurse, they Mm -hmm. agreed to let the child spirit stay with them. Enter the Warrens, who claimed that instead a demonic spirit had actually attached itself to the doll. So a lot, a lot of times, evil, dark spirits and demons will pretend to be a little child. I think I remember you saying that. Yep, to make the person feel more comfortable and welcoming. Wasn't wasn't there one episode where you talked about the kids with the eyes? Ooh, black-eyed kids. Yeah. Ooh, I love those. (laughs) They're so creepy to me. They were very creepy. And so, yes, I really like talking about them. That actually... That story made me feel so weird after I researched it. Didn't like it. But yeah, so that's what sometimes like evil and dark spirits will do. So they tried to perform an exorcism on the doll, but it was unsuccessful. Because of that, Annabelle is currently being kept in a holy glass box protected by a crucifix, which is said to prevent the doll from escaping and causing havoc and horror. Oh my god. On the outside of Annabelle's box is a sign. Dolls I had growing up. Yeah. Oh yeah, you did. That's creepy. So, on the outside of Annabelle's box is a sign that says, quote, warning, positively do not open. The actual story of Annabelle differs slightly from what happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, because I know for a fact you have not seen the movie, I, not, no. I will just do a little recap. Thank you. So, <laughs> so, in the movie, a man ends up buying the doll for his wife, who is a doll collector. They are instantly... Those people creep me out. Right? I have seen those on, like, TV before, and that is... I creepy. Could Having a not. couple dolls? Pretty normal. Whole collection, one of them has got to be possessed. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And you're not going to notice if any of them slightly move. Exactly, because there's too many. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the couple is instantly terrorized by the spirit and the doll. Then the Warrens come in and yada yada. So a little different from it being gifted as a nurse to being gifted to a wife. But still a story of a terrifying doll. So I remember reading somewhere that when Ed and Lorraine were bringing Annabelle home, they had her in their car and they were on their way home. And they got into an automobile accident. Nothing serious, but an accident nonetheless. So Annabelle is one of those items that you want to be respectful of. Ed Warren tells a story of a young man who was downright disrespectful to Annabelle. This young man entered the museum with his... man. Yeah. <laughs> so this young man entered the museum with his girlfriend and started tapping on the glass case that Annabelle is locked in. He started doing this after he heard the story of why she's locked in there in the first place. Annabelle has been known to scratch people. So this young man stated that he like started demanding proof. He was saying that if Annabelle can actually scratch people, she needs to prove it and scratch him too. So just being an arrogant asshole. This bothered Ed, who ushered the man out, saying, son, you need to leave. On the way home, the man was... man, Ed. Right? Because he respects the doll, as you have to do. So on the way home... You're a demon. Don't, like... (laughs) Yep. Respect it. (laughs) Be good. You'll leave. Yes. So on the way home, the man was talking shit about Annabelle to his girlfriend, making fun of her and just being rude and disrespectful. But on the ride home, the two got into a horrible motorcycle accident. Oh, my God. The young man was killed on impact, <gasps> and the girlfriend ended up being hospitalized for over a year. Oh, my God. It is believed that Annabelle was behind this incident, given that she has a history of motor accidents and hates being antagonized. After recovering, the young woman recalled that they were laughing about the doll and immediately lost control of the motorcycle. 
She said, quote, Edge warns you to not challenge evil because no man is more powerful than Satan. Oh, I know. So that's the only one recorded death related to Annabelle. So Zach Baggins, the host of the TV show Ghost Adventures, obviously visited the Warrens Museum. After filming the episode and interacting with Annabelle, he said that something happened to his car on the way home. Mm. Sparrow, the son-in-law, said that Baggins was acting disrespectful by saying things like, quote, I want to hug her. I feel sorry for her. I feel a connection to her. All of that footage was cut and didn't appear in the show. Mm. But Sparrow said that something about that experience terrified Zach. Sparrow said, quote, the problem is it doesn't have to happen right away. The devil doesn't have to do what you want it to do. It may happen a year from now and you won't attribute it to the doll. They're sly. They're cunning. They hate you. On August 14th, 2020, people started to worry when rumors started to swirl that Annabelle had escaped her box. I actually remember this rumor. So the rumor was thankfully found out to be a hoax, but I remember seeing it all over headlines on Facebook and Twitter and just everywhere saying that, like, Annabelle had escaped. Our algorithms are clearly very different. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are. So about the rumor that Annabelle had escaped, Tony Sparrow, the son-in-law, said, quote, I'm here to tell you something. I don't know if you want to hear this or not, but Annabelle did not escape. Annabelle's alive. Well, I shouldn't say alive. Annabelle's here in all her infamous glory. She never left the museum. Remember, I have high-tech security here. If she had left the museum, I'd have instantly known if something happened or somebody broke in. I have good alarm systems here, and the police are good to respond. They respond within a couple of minutes, maybe, if that. But Annabelle's here. She didn't go anywhere. She didn't take a trip. She didn't fly first class, and she didn't go out to visit her boyfriend. So here she is. Let's put the rumors to rest, guys. I appreciate all the concern. I'd be concerned if Annabelle really did leave because she's nothing to play with. And so I also read an interesting article while doing my research. So I was reading one of the countless articles about the museum. This particular article was on backpackerverse.com. And I was reading the comments under the article. Like backpackverse? Backpackerverse. Oh, like a universe. I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. Dot com. Um, so under the article, I was reading the comments because why not? Mm-hmm. So one person commented and said, quote, would love to visit. And someone replied to that saying, quote, not me. If you knock on the devil's door, he might answer. Fair. It made me chuckle, but I was like, first off, I was like, this is a perfect internet intera- internet interaction, but then also a perfectly good quote. I mean, my life motto is don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. Yeah. So. And also for anyone listening, if a woman asks you the question, she already knows the answer. Hint, hint. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned how the museum closed in 2019. I haven't been able to find out what happened to all oh, of the closed items. Oh, 2019? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's recent. Yeah. Yeah, because Ed and Lorraine Warren recently passed away. So Ed died first, and mm-hmm. then Lorraine passed away. They passed it on to their son-in-law, but I guess it just was a lot to handle. Okay. Son, son-in-law, someone. So, because I thought you said it got, I thought it was shut down earlier for the zoning thing. 2019, too. I believe that it's like the Warrens had been doing it, then their son-in-law kept it going, oh. and then because of all the zoning things, it was shut down. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was recent. Yeah. Um, so no one knows what happened to all of the items that were housed there. I looked, and I could not find it. Mm. Many believe that Zach Baggins has the stuff as a, at his haunted museum in Las Vegas, because he does have one there, but mm-hmm. it's not confirmed. I think we need to know where all of these items are at all times, so no one stumbles upon yeah. it accidentally. <laughs> um, but a good quote to end on from Warrens.net said this about the museum. Quote, this world-renowned museum has attracted hundreds of thousands of visitors from across the world. Inch for inch, their museum houses the largest array of obscure and haunted artifacts, items used in extremely dangerous occult activities, and diabolical practices around the world. So that is the Warren's Occult Museum. Oof. (laughs) I know. It was scary researching. It was fun researching. 
I mean, it's definitely very interesting. It is very interesting. And the stories behind it are pretty interesting. Yes. I will give you that. They are very interesting. But yeah, there's like some places I would like to go. Like there's the Death Museum in New Orleans and there's places like that. This is a place I never want to go. It's never on my like want list. No one can go anyways now, but it's never someplace I have ever wanted to go. My sister, I'm pretty sure, went to the Death Museum. Hmm, yeah. I decided not to go. It sounds really cool. It, like, shows you different practices they've used in different, like, coffins and things. Yeah, I just wasn't... Knowing you, I can see why you did not want to. I went to, like, you know, Mardi Gras World where I saw, like, the floats. Oh, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) And got a piece of king cake. (laughs) (laughs) The important things. The important things. But yeah, so that's the occult museum up in Connecticut. Very interesting. Yes. Very interesting. And as I was doing the research, I was like, Mackenzie's going to hate this. You know, I was truly intrigued. I definitely got goosebumps a few times. My (laughs) only concern is my dreams. Yeah. Because usually when someone says something about dreaming something, eventually it comes back around and it's there. I had the creepiest dream last night. I was like with the Joker, like Batman Joker. And he was trying to get me to do all these horrible things. And then at one point, the police came. So I put my arms up to, like, run away to show the police that I was innocent. Well, he didn't like that. And so he got mad at me. So then I remember trying to run through a hotel to try to get away from him. It was a very scary dream. My dreams, man. I'm, like, in a whole, like, parallel universe. They're wild. It's exhausting. You do have wild dreams. I, oh, my God. I did read somewhere, other than the boo hag we talked about last time when you wake up exhausted, I also read that, like, or heard it's kind of like astral projection where your body goes to these other places so if you wake up exhausted it's because your body never actually slept you were kind of like your soul or whatever was traveling to all these different places so the reason why i always think it's a like parallel universe is because all the places i dream of are places i recognize but there's they're different yeah like there's something that's not right about them Mm -hmm. but they are the place that i'm familiar with it's just something something's off something's off oh dreams are so freaky you know, and they're never fun. I'm never no. enjoying myself. And I think I've told you before how when I have dreams, I've learned how to wake myself up out of dreams. But then I had one dream where I knew it was a dream, but I couldn't wake up out of it. Mm. And it terrified me because, like, yeah. I don't know why I do this weird thing in my sleep where, like, I, like, fall back to sleep in my dream and that's how I wake up. Hmm. It's very weird. That is interesting. But that's how I get out of dreams. And so uh, that one dream I had, I, like, got in a lot of trouble. So I knew it was a dream, and I was trying to wake up out of it, and I couldn't. And so in my dream, I was like, okay, this has to be real life because I can't wake up out of it. Yeah. It was terrifying. And then the next night I told Joe, we stayed up for an extra, like, two hours because I was scared to fall asleep. There's only been a handful of times I realized I was dreaming. hmm And the w- last one I remember – I, it was like a pretty normal dream. Like I was out, I think I was at work and it was like one of my old teachers had showed up and I think because of how he was behaving or something happened where I was like, this isn't real. Like this is a dream. This doesn't make any sense. And I couldn't wake myself up. Like I remember in my dream trying to smack myself (laughs) (laughs) and then I tried to go outside because it was raining and I was like, oh, like feeling the rain will wake Mm -hmm. me up. Didn't wake me up. And I remember I turned and my dog, Jimmy, was barreling down the hallway and jumped on me and that's what woke me up. Dang. Yeah. That's so creepy. I also had a dream once when I was a kid that I was getting brain surgery. And when I was under for anesthesia, I was dreaming and in my dream, I was like, oh, like I'm at the hospital right now getting brain surgery. Ew. And I'm going to have to go back to the hospital when it's time for me to wake up. And so my dream was trying to 
get me there. Ew. Yeah. Grandma, my grandma messaged me the other day and she was like, oh, your podcast is great. Mackenzie sounds good. Oh, And then she was like, (laughs) she was like, I used to have this dream when I was growing up. And she was like, in my dream, everyone would unzip their skin. (gasps) And then I thought I was the only person who couldn't do it. And she's like, so your episode about the boo hag getting out of your skin, she was like, it reminded me immediately of my dream. And I was like, ew. I was like, are you okay? That sounds terrifying. horrific. (laughs) Right? And so she thought for the longest time she woke up after having that dream and she thought for the longest time that everyone could like unzip their skin and she was the only person who couldn't. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) So look at these things relating to people in your life. (laughs) Yeah, I know. If I wake up in the middle of the night from a scary dream, guess who I'm calling? I love you. I'll probably already be awake for work. So, you know, it's fine. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, Follow us on all of our social media. So on Instagram and Facebook as a Scary State Podcast. On Twitter, because we have a Twitter. Twitter. At a Scary State Pod. On our new website at a scary state podcast.squarespace.com. And then email us with anything at a scary state podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are also creating a GoFundMe to kind of help with um, all podcast stuff, you know, getting you guys like the greatest episodes. <laughs> Good merch. Good merch for the future. Um, you know, just ways to promote us. So check a, take a look at the website, it'll be a link to it. And if you can donate and support that'd be really awesome tell your friends leave a review yeah (laughs) um so i guess that's all we have so stay scary stay safe 